internet and welcome to another episode of my podcast talk show. My name is Annabelle and over the next few episodes you can expect reviews of movies or TV shows that I've seen. I'll talk about what's trending and I'll also try to objectively evaluate if they are worth your time. Today on the show we have Makoto. How are you doing Maki? Hi. I'm alright. It's a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're still I guess somewhat in the thick of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, have you been stuck at home? Yes. This made for a great conversation. It's great. I love being at home. Uh, on a more interesting note. So the coronavirus pandemic has got the entire world staying at home, not just you and me. And there's been a surge in demand for entertainment. So that's like films, TV shows, games. Mm-hmm. And like everyone else, I took to Netflix to find stuff to watch just a couple of days ago. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to assert that I don't just do Korean dramas. I do a lot of other stuff too, okay guys? I like films. It's in the... It's in my bio but anyway nice. uh, so, <laughs> so yeah you know how Netflix has those lists like top 10 in your country so at one point I was kind of amused to find that 50 Shades Free was one of the top 3 or something Ooh, la, la. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed but also I'm not surprised people gotta do something but there were other movies that also caught my eye and not for good reasons so I guess um, I noticed that some mainstream films that aren't Unfortunately, I don't really think very highly of were in the top viewed list. Uh, one of which is Our Boys to Men, which was number one in Singapore. Personally, not a fan of local mainstream productions, but I think um, that's for another time. Uh, yeah, but it also occurred to me that Perhaps. even though I scorn these movies, there are people who kind of enjoy that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, flipping it around today, um, what we're going to be talking about is what if we actually like the film that everyone seems to hate. So today on the podcast, we'll be talking about three movies that people have expressly said that they didn't like. And we're going to tell you exactly why we like them. And you can't tell us otherwise because, you know, podcasts are a one-way medium. Use the comment <laughs> section. Use your power. It, no! Stay away. There are no comment sections in Spotify. <laughs> I would know. I made a mistake in episode 2. But anyway, uh, before we begin though, I have to mention that making this list for me was quite difficult because I try not to say things suck unless I really have a good reason to hate it because I know like there are people who believe in the film and I guess at, at the very least exercise some faith in the commercial potential of the film. So yeah, for me, I'll be coming from a more film student standpoint. But what about you, Makoto? So how are you like... um? valuing movies. Uh, That sounds weird. I'm also quite similar in that I'm very hesitant to go, oh, this movie is completely garbage, you know, because I think someone's going to like it. Um, I always try and find a reason why there's something, you know, about this movie. Um, yeah. That being said, sometimes I look at a movie and think, how did this get produced? Like, Ugh. money was given to this thing, why? <laughs> how? But Do you have a movie in mind <laughs> as you're talking about? No, because I don't bother to remember <laughs> these movies. <laughs> I, I, I give them no presence of mind. I have other things I need to worry about in my life. It's a pandemic. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is not all negative because I think, hey, if that movie can get produced, so can some ideas that maybe my so friends my have student or something, films. you know? So I think that's a positive thing. <gasps> Fair enough. Yep, so like I mentioned, most of my friends are, I guess, film students or, I guess, film literate. Uh, what about you, though? Like, um, why are you basing today's list off of? Um, hearsay, basically. 
hearsay. Yeah, I, I heard this movie sucked. Yeah, honestly, that's <laughs> That's not a very solid way to measure things, Marco. <laughs> no, 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 it, it's not. But <laughs> art and subjectivity, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> if I've heard at least one person mm. go, yo, that was complete garbage. I'm like, okay, but here's why I think it's an okay movie. <laughs> okay. I guess maybe I'll go first, just to open things up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> And try not to flame me too much because I know you have a very high standard of movies. I don't think I'm very picky either, to be honest. Well, we'll see. We will. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Like, I, I just huh? mentioned my oh, first we'll movie see. and you're just like, why? Why would you? Why? <laughs> so, yeah, without further ado, this is my first film. <laughs> the first on my list is a film from the Bay. The Michael Bay. Ooh, not San not- Francisco. <laughs> Nobody talks about that, Bay. Um, so why I'm a bit cautious about mentioning Michael Bay is because, you know, in film school, they are always emphasizing on the value of the film. And um, every shot, every line, everything needs to mean something, you know. Uh, and Michael Bay, though, is kind of like a flamboyant guy. He tends to show off what he's got in the visual effects department. So I remember being year one and I was like wondering, so like, why is that so bad? Because, you know, I want, but because I want to fit in with my friends, you know, who are all talking about the film like Train Spotting or Wong Kar Wai Cinematography. Ooh, um, <laughs> in the mood. <laughs> so I just decided like to not watch another Michael Bay film ever since I watched the first Transformers because I was just like yeah they're gonna judge me I'm not gonna let them (laughs) yeah so (laughs) I'm protecting myself you missed out on at least one more good Transformer movie (laughs) I'll say that (laughs) yeah and that was like what 2012 I've not seen another uh, Michael Bay film since Um, yeah but just last January in 2019 my friends and I were in uh, were at the cinema trying to escape the heat and the only thing that was interesting was uh, Bumblebee so I went in with very low expectations and I think I grumbled about it too my friends would probably attest to that because I was like oh, why do we have to watch Michael Bay's film oh Bumblebee oh it's gonna suck yeah but no the thing is that like I also remember the day being quite a lousy day because I wasn't feeling well and my friends and I were cycling around town in the hot sun so I was oh, sunburned I was not well I was watching a Michael Bay of Michael Bay you gotta break your Bay oath I'm not I have to be a basic bay anyway uh, <laughs> it's a pg show okay but yeah what stood out to me then you know why is this on my list so right off the bat color grading in the film the rustic american desert garage feel was honestly a feast for the eyes so it's definitely not in like a wong kar wai wes anderson kind of way right. but it gave you a certain feeling so um I think in film theory, we do talk about this a bit where um, certain uh, scenes kind of evoke emotion and uh, mm. maybe memories that yep. kind of like make you feel as you're watching the film. And I would say that Bumblebee, for some reason, did that for me too. Um, so yeah, that that was something that I took away from the movie that made me feel like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Um, visual effects were obviously great as well. And some of the comedic points were pretty good too, which was a great plus point for me because I really didn't expect much. Like the first Transformers was just Megan Fox and everyone was talking about how well endowed she was. 
So Wait, there's, there's much better things in that movie than that one maybe. <laughs> not not the song make Fox short, but come on, the movie with the first Transformers movie was honestly not a bad film as well. To, to be honest, I really don't remember and I think that a lot of my memories have been corrupted with just film students going, Oh, that's a bad film. <laughs> so <laughs> I really can't remember much, but I, I do I do know that for Bumblebee, um visual effects were really good. And uh, yeah, I wasn't in tip-top condition, but the film was able to pluck me out of that physical discomfort. And for that, I think Bumblebee was fantastic. Mm, right, right, right. Um, I also think another problem is that I think there's twofold. When approaching something like Michael Bay and Transformers, I'm going to approach yep. Transformers first. Sometimes people went into Transformers and they come out going, yo, the film wasn't great. The, the, you know, all it is is robots fighting. What the, what's the story? I didn't feel anything. Yep. And sometimes I go, why don't you go into a Transformers <laughs> film expecting that? I go in expecting big robots fighting big robots and they transform <laughs> in high detail. <laughs> yep. I don't need to know what's going on. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe it's because like a lot of the people who went in, they kind right. of expecting to feel what they felt when they were watching the cartoon, for example. Right. So Transformers was initially, um, was it a comic book and a cartoon first? I think it was toys and cartoons. I'm toys not sure and if cartoons. It was comic books. Yeah, I, I, well, I'm not too sure because personally, I've only seen the cartoon on like free to air television. And I yeah. had the toys as a kid. It was great. I had a gorilla that could transform into a plane. Yeah, it was great. It's honestly one of those things that made me really like those toys because they were so, um, I think articulate is the yeah. term. The engineering that goes in those things, <laughs> I can flip a gorilla into a plane, blew my yeah. mind. So now looking back, because I'm no longer pretentious, right? <laughs> I'm just watching K-dramas all day long. I do think that it did serve its purpose and it did live up to expectations in terms of, you know, the engineering feats right. of turning a car into a robot and that kind of thing. Yeah. If you can deliver on simplicity, that yeah. honestly is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, Because I don't think it's actually as easy a task. Mm. Um, I think similarly, action movies also get similar flack. People think, oh, action movie, you know, there's not much to it, just shoot some action. <laughs> but to shoot, you know, co- visually coherent action and yeah. do it well, I think yep. those two plus story really, really, um, it's one of the more overlooked things by, I think, general cinema goers, I think. Yep. And plus, because I've also heard just people say, action, what, you don't need to shoot so much. I think especially because my friend likes to shoot action <laughs> and then there was a point when he was shooting his film someone went oh actually actually quite hard to shoot huh? and he was like that's what I've been telling y'all and since then I've been carrying that in my head yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I've edited action before and it is difficult it's the most difficult thing ever yeah how about you Makoto what's the first movie on your list um the new it movies actually why? Why Why did it, you choose It? Like the clown. Clown It. And I'm gonna lump the first and second movie together. Okay. Um, I haven't seen It. <laughs> um, <laughs> hoo-ha, hoo-ha, wow. But uh, I guess, can you tell me why? Like, what, what about the first It did you like? I really hate okay. horror films. And ever since the movie Annabelle came out, feelings of disdain have been aggravated. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you gotta break it down for me, man. Okay. Honestly, I'm actually very, very frightened by horror movies as well. Yeah. Trailers used to scare me, like, when there was TVs on buses and a horror movie thing would show up, I'd lose sleep. 
And and so you went from that to ah yeah, it is a pretty good. Movie. Oh, dude, it was fantastic. I watched it three times, two times in IMAX. Why? It's not even shot in IMAX. I just wanted to see it on a big <laughs> screen, as big as possible. Dude, it was fantastic. They they for like what I mentioned earlier, they had such a fantastic world that yep. the kids sort of lived in, and you could feel mm. this small town like enchantment there's a moment when they're all just riding their bikes down the, down a hill and the music kicks in and like i said earlier you can almost feel the air and the atmosphere of the town you know and honestly that's what really sealed the first movie for me the first time i watched it i went home <clears throat> and on the way home i listened to the whole soundtrack and i was still encapsulated in that world Right. I don't listen to music to this day, but mm. music and world building aside, this one's yeah. a bit more abstract. But I do think that the pacing of the movie was fantastic. Um, there's a great internal rhythm. I don't know how to say it. The director Andy Muschietti. I hope I'm not butchering his name. You can sort of tell that he's different from an American director. Uh, just for context, he isn't American. So yeah, you can sort of tell that he has that foreign touch. And I don't think it's very overtly obvious. I think it's very revealing for me. I could tell Mm -hmm. in the way they spoke. There's a certain rhythm to it. And the way they say things. Certain phrases that, you know, um, you'll die if you try. I personally wasn't too keen on those phrases. But everything else, um, you could tell that he had a good sense of pacing, rhythm, talking, speech, music. The events that happened. The kids' reaction. How yeah. each scene played out and how the movie wrapped up the first mm-hmm. of the two movies. Because if you know the franchise, you know it's two parts when they were kids and when they're adults. So, yeah, the, the first movie was, in my opinion, solid. But the reason it's on this list, even though I'm singing high praises, you know, for it, <laughs> remember this list is about things that people have said. I asked my friend, and my friend was like, Dude, you're crazy? You watched it three times? It was Ori only. I'm like, What? Damn. <laughs> I mean, that was. Dude, watch it two more times in IMAX without you. <laughs> I watched it four times. I, I think a lot of people though, like, I think a lot of people, the horror genre is kind of like a, you watch it and then that's that. Like, I know that rom-coms are usually the ones that get rewatched repeatedly. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit surprised as well that you went to watch it in IMAX yeah, I'm twice to after too. that. Plus, yeah. I have bad anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, honestly, and the second one, like I said, I bundled these two movies together. Yeah. And I think the second one didn't have great as great a pacing, and it didn't even feel like it had the same atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I write those off as what needed to be accomplished in that movie for that to be a coherent and true to the series. It was really a lot to tackle for the second movie. So I don't really hold it against it. I just wish it was better. But I still like those two movies. I watched the second one Mm. twice as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great. I I recommend checking it out. (laughs) I also recommend checking out the mini-series that was first done, like, I don't know, in the 70s or 80s. Yeah. Is the mini-series called Minute? No. What? No. 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 (laughs) I refuse to acknowledge (laughs) this joke. Okay. So Annabelle... Now that we've talked at length about it and how I gush over it, no pun intended, I am so sorry. <laughs> so Annabelle, what's your favourite movie? 
Second favorite. Uh, the second, not favorite. The second I'm movie sorry. on my list. Yes, the second movie on your list, Annabelle. What is it? Yes, the second movie on my list that <laughs> I really liked is the DreamWorks twenty sixteen animation Trolls. <laughs> yeah, I think people have like a certain misconception about animated films. Mm-hmm. It's either aimed at kids or to evoke nostalgia mm-hmm. um, about right. their childhood, right. which is fair because most animated films discuss content that is vibrant on the screen and is easy to digest, which explains why the target audience are mainly people with, uh, within yeah. a certain age group. I do think though that, however, while some animated films are aimed at kids, they do sometimes insinuate or reference more adult themes. So for example, like puns, references to modern day politics or social causes. Uh, more recently, they might even discuss memes. And a film that immediately pops into my mind is Zootopia. So yeah, you kind of get where I'm going with this. For oh, shows, the visuals and <laughs> overall that, that tone... Think, sorry. <laughs> you really caught me off guard. <laughs> I gotta... I gotta mix it up. For trolls, the visuals and overall tone is uh, very over-the-top, um, happy and colourful. Uh, but right from the get-go, it's very obvious that the movie isn't taking itself too seriously because we have like a whole village of trolls who are overly optimistic. And because of that, they ostracise this very emo troll. And there's this one scene at the start where they are all trying to invite the emo troll to the biggest party of the year. And he stresses out because there are giants that are trying to eat them and they're like he the emo troll is basically like you, you're gonna give away our location and they're like no we won't um so yeah you, you kind of know how the movie goes uh but yeah <laughs> so yeah this emo troll is like really stressing out he's like guys please keep it down and then right at that moment a troll with an australian accent just floats in busting out with that hey chill out mate <laughs> oh, that's a horrible accent i'm sorry <laughs> but yeah it was like a i didn't expect that i didn't expect to see something like that happening in a children's animated film but it did happen so yeah it's kind of unexpected how they just throw in a bunch of like comedic points and i guess for adults if you're accompanying a child that's like that's pretty good you know you you laugh along your kids like oh what was that yeah yeah <laughs> for movies to have entertainment for both adults and kids plus i also do think that as they grow older it can serve as like a great moment of reflection like they watch the movie again for nostalgia's sake and they're like oh wait there's some life lessons in here too you know yeah and another thing is that this movie is also like a metaphor for pure unadulterated laid-back happiness that i guess is impossible to come by um, as an adult especially in a city like singapore mm-hmm. so i really like how the movie just knew how to exaggerate um, the right amounts and it was using that tone to generate comedic points plot points push the character's development but also um, handle some criticism about you know life as we know it today and I guess the other thing that um, caught my attention and I guess you've talked about this as well soundtrack right oh dude so important if a movie has a solid soundtrack it makes me feel a lot better it does yes like what was that there was this other animated film called Sing like the movie I heard was trash but um, the covers in general were decent. Mm. So some people were like, why waste good voices on this? But anyway. <laughs> Glee Club. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Glee Club. It's called the, oh. the movie, oh, but with animals, essentially, is what Sing felt like. So um, Trolls has uh, original songs that are really astoundingly interesting to listen to. And one of them is Get Back Up Again by Anna Kendrick. And it's so optimistic, it's plastic. Like, I can imagine rainbows as I'm listening to just a song. Okay. Can I ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. to happy? Uh, it's happier, it? it's happier. It's. I don't know how you're going to do that. Pharrell Williams did a great job on happy. I don't really like a lot of those kind of songs. 
But happy, right. like, sits well with me. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I think it's because Anna Kendrick also has a very um, high voice. That oh, I think the quality of her voice probably adds to it. I haven't yeah. heard this Get Back Up song, but I, I can imagine the quality of her voice adding to it. Yeah, like Anna Kendrick's voice. It sounds like she's on energy drinks all the time. In the movie. Hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not like that. I'm we're not in you. it. Okay, we're not in it. I apologize. But yeah, like I feel like this song is because like her voice quality suits the song's content so well. It just grasps very well like how I feel like when life is absolute trash. But I just gotta get back up again. Uh, it's really <laughs> just so ap- that's, how, that's what you call good casting. <laughs> So there are also a couple of covers of popular songs thrown into the mix as well, such as uh, Cindy Lauper's uh, True Colors and Diana mm. Ross's I'm Coming Out. And honestly, the covers don't suck. Those are solid songs. It's interesting how they put a twist on that because so many people have done it before um, and chose still managed to do pretty well. It didn't sound boring and it still fit into, I guess, the storyline. That made the film even more interesting to watch. Honestly, I just feel that if people put down their preconceived notions about animated films, the comedic plots and how the story progresses, and even the soundtracks will make the movie such an enjoyable watch. And yeah, I actually introduced uh, Trolls to a couple of friends and they were like, dude, you're like, okay, back then I was like in my early 20s. They're like, dude, you're in your early 20s. Like, watch something <laughs> no, serious. No. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm gonna jump in. <laughs> um, I, okay, when people say that, it, it bothers me a little bit. I get, uh, I get a little bummed out. I'm like, hey, you can't just write off a movie just because it's an animation, you know? Yeah. Okay, granted, I used to not like DreamWorks movies because they, they felt like lower quality Pixar. But I really <laughs> do think that over time, Oof. DreamWorks has really come into their own and make solid films. Yeah, definitely. Um... <laughs> I'm not going to defend them back then, <laughs> but I will now. It's okay. I, yeah. I have a friend who is in animation. She says that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're probably like valid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and thank your friend for <laughs> backing me up on <laughs> these claims. I actually talked to my cousin because when he flew over from Japan, he watched Frozen 2 on the plane. Uh-huh. And I, I talked to him about, you know, cartoons and how they're received in Japan. And they generally are written off as, you know, kids things. Yeah. So I was a little bummed out by that, and I also found out that the movie is called Anna and the Ice Queen oh, in wow. Japan. I was like, wow, Anna's not even the focus, <laughs> Elsa's not even mentioned what's going on with this. Interesting localization. Yeah. But it's also the third highest grossing movie in Japan. Wow, though, really? You know, if people think it's childish, it doesn't matter, third highest grossing after, after Titanic and Spirited Away. Wow. 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 Incredible, right? Uh, so let's move on to your second movie. Uh, I think bit of a hot take, one of those you love it or you absolutely hate it kind of movies. Okay. Or, or at least you just don't get it to the point, like, why would I watch this movie again? Okay. Because that's exactly what happened when I watched this movie with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Okay. I thought it was alright. I enjoyed it. Uh, but my friend got out, he was disappointed, he's a Tarantino fan. Uh-huh. He's like, dude, this movie, can I say sucked? <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, my friend was completely livid. Tarantino fan, and he was like, what was that? Nothing happened in that movie. Mm. And, I, and I do think that's a common criticism of the movie. Yeah. Um, Wait, just wondering uh, though, because, okay, Tarantino, I haven't seen this movie, but I mm-hmm. do know Tarantino's style. 
So Kill Bill. Uh, what's the other film? Kill Bill Volume Two. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, okay. Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. I think that was the one. But yeah, I know about these films because I mean, film student. Come on. <laughs> so I know that his style is very visceral. So what about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Kind of disappointed your friend. It was precisely for the, but nothing happened in that movie, dude. <laughs> Literally, it was a. It, he said it felt like a series of, oh, something's gonna happen, tensions building up, and then nothing happened. Oh, you know? okay. Okay, so spoiler alert. So in this movie, um, it's essentially capturing a segment of time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and this is historical, because Sharon Tate, which was a well-known, I think, actress or talent at the time was murdered by the Manson cult family members. Okay, so for context, this is not much of a spoiler, but this is historical context for what happens in this movie. And I and, and when you watch this movie, there are moments where you encounter the Manson family. If you have this historical knowledge, you'll be like, oh, okay, it's going to progress to that. You even see Charles Manson uh, himself, who is the guy that li- led this cult, back in the day and he didn't murder anyone personally but he had this quote-unquote cult family that murdered people and that's why he's in jail that's why he's so renowned what Tarantino was trying to do was capture this turning point in what he considers a key moment in Hollywood Mm. he sort of feels like the death of Sharon Tate by the Manson family really killed the sense of safety and joy that Hollywood had at the time with, you know, the films that were coming out and the people of that time. So he felt felt like those murders sort of killed that innocence. So this movie is really him trying to redo that golden age. I personally say it's worth giving the movie a try, um, but um, as for the criticism that nothing happens, I do think it's very similar to the criticism that people had with Dunkirk. Yeah. You know, um, that nothing happens in the show, you know, what's the story of the plot? It, yep. To me, it's more of an experiential thing. You experience the world in this snapshot, you know? And right, you yeah. see the characters. I thought the fictional characters implanted into this real-world time of Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character. Leonardo DiCaprio's character was such a goofy, weird guy. <laughs> you know, like a, like a midlife crisis of an actor, you know, falling out of that <laughs> relevancy and the way he copes with it or the way he doesn't cope with it at all you know Mm. Uh, to me that's you know aspects of um, putting a well written character into a situation to me is good enough and entertaining you know it's especially so if like the audience feels like they've been brought into the experience together with the people yeah so honestly besides the context and what he was trying to achieve the character's you know, I thought they were interesting enough that when you mm. put an interesting character into a regular situation, you come out with an interesting situation, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I do think that's a strength that's a strength of the movie and I think that's a similar strength with Community, a show that I really enjoy. Ah Dan <laughs> Harmon <laughs> Surprise, mm. it's a community <laughs> shout out. <laughs> yeah. If you write a good character and put them in a situation, it almost writes mm. itself, you know. Yeah, but honestly, I guess. that being said, once upon a time in 
<laughs> Hollywood. What's a part time quarantine? Quarantino. What's a quarantino? Okay. Quarantino. What's a COVID quarantino, man? Welcome to a quarantino film. Okay, sorry. But yeah, once upon in Hollywood, once upon a time in Hollywood is definitely a very indulgent film from Tarantino. Yeah. You know, you know? Mm. capturing yeah. a moment in time, putting its own twist on it. I mean, there were things about the movie that did bug me, but yeah. honestly, the ending scene was great. The characters were great. I think it's worth a try. Yeah. Yeah. So because I haven't seen the film, I just need to ask: Do you think it deviates from Tarantino's um, usual style? Huh. I think some people would say yes, but I don't mm. think so. What about okay. you, Annabelle? What's your hot take? Hot take of this evening. The final movie that I have on my list is selected from a genre or subgenre that I guess people don't really take too seriously. It's like on the other side, the polar opposite of Tarantino. And the movie that I have in mind is Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there have been some reviewers who say, "Oh, Devil Wears Prada isn't exactly a chick flick." Uh, but I was choosing between uh, this movie, Legally Blonde, and Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. So I think somewhere in my brain, you know, my brain found some similarities and classified them all together under the broad, overarching genre of chick flick. Yeah, yeah I can see that <laughs> happening with this movie. I, I think this movie is at risk of being written off <laughs> as chick flick. Granted, chick yeah. flicks are generally <laughs> at risk of being written off, full stop. Truth be told, I do feel that certain chick flicks don't have uh, a ton of value. Or substance. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and even like the conflict within the chick flicks aren't great. So yeah. it's not like Legally Blonde where they are having the very subtle underlying um, yeah. critique. Yeah, okay, so what do I love about Devil Wears Prada? Well, first of all, Meryl Streep. Her performance Ooh. is excellent in Devil Wears Prada and I think that that was one of her more memorable roles. Of mm-hmm. course, she has, met, she has had many over the years, but that's one of the ones that stood out. But the thing about this film though is that it doesn't really promote a sense of female empowerment. So at first glance, it most certainly does. Um, but if you really analyse it, you realise that the movie, at the heart of it, is a movie about women directed by a man. Uh, <laughs> which is a huge thing in film school that gets all my female empowerment classmates and lecturers very riled up. <laughs> they say like, you cannot talk about women from a man's perspective because men do not know what females go through. <laughs> um, so yeah. I will refrain from comment. Not because <laughs> I don't disagree. It's just that I think there's nuance to this matter. And we're not going to get political here. Yeah, I'm definitely here for not. a good time, not a long time. Uh, wait, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> so why do feminists think that Devil Wears Prada is an uh, anti-feminist film? Uh, I guess there's good reason for that. Because the movie kind of portrays helpless women as great leaders you know there are scenes where the character uh, Miranda who is played by Meryl Streep seems to be heavily affected by yet another divorce and the protagonist Andy who is played by what's her name Shakespeare's wife Anne Hathaway <laughs> has also <laughs> it's also seen Shakespeare's wife was a weird choice <laughs> she was in no, <laughs> Princess Diaries that's another great quote unquote chick flick you know? No, I I saw a meme the other day and it was like Anne Hathaway was Shakespeare's wife and then <laughs> Anne Hathaway's husband in today's context also looks a lot like Shakespeare. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. Why am I apologizing? I didn't say anything. <laughs> the protagonist Angie is also seen returning to her boyfriend's side after she quits her internship with Miranda. And okay, I guess to a certain extent, I sort of am a female who supports female empowerment. So why do I like it? Um, 
it's a bit counterintuitive, so bear with me. Yeah, uh, the I'm movie very is very interested to see where this. <laughs> the movie is definitely kind of unrealistic and lacking in many aspects. So, uh, in terms of what the fashion industry is like. Um, how easy it is for interns to climb the corporate ladder, you know, the kind of thing. It's it's um, people have said that it's definitely unrealistic, but I gain the feeling of empowerment just by watching the protagonist Andy struggle and overcome hardships. So in order to do well, to excel in this industry, um, she makes certain changes uh, about her appearance. But I guess at the heart of it, she still is, you know, the same person that she was, and that I could appreciate. And later on, you know, when she's finally adapted into the whole uh, fashion industry. Her close friends make fun of her and start criticizing her for turning into a different person. But even so, she didn't shy away from a challenge, and that in turn gifted her with a tenacity that I don't think she would have obtained elsewhere. And right. at like every chick flick movie or Anne Hathaway movie, <laughs> I like the makeover scenes, callback to Princess Diaries or Pretty Lady. <laughs> yeah, Princess Diaries like, makeover scene was great. Yeah, I like it Although, so much. <laughs> I like the process. The end result doesn't much change. Yeah, she still looked like. A great looking Anne Hathaway. <laughs> she looked like a more well groomed Anne Hathaway. She looked great before. She looked great after. It's a different yeah. set of great, honestly. <laughs> but oh, okay, but yeah, but the thing like is, yeah, I, I, I'm a female. I like seeing people glam up. So th- this great. movie worked for me. <laughs> I, I'm not a female. I thought that makeover scene was great as well. <laughs> honestly, I, I generally stay away from the romance genre. Like you said earlier, you know, chick flicks sometimes don't have the best slot of story or narrative. Yeah. It's kind of hacky sometimes. Yeah. I've seen enough uh, notebooks and <laughs> wannabe notebooks to yeah. not want to, you know, <laughs> encounter the romance genre. But, you know, I, I do think, like you said, Legally Blonde, for example, Princess Diaries, Mean Girls. I think we can all agree uh, Mean Girls was a good piece of cinema, yeah. you know? <laughs> And definitely, everyone can categorize them as, oh, that's a chick flick, right? Yeah. Like, people can gloss over, so... Uh, how about yeah. your last film? What's the last film mm. on your list? Okay. I really, really <laughs> like this movie, but I don't see a lot of people talk about it. Okay. It's both the Hellboy movies oh. by Guillermo del Toro. The first two Hellboy movies shook my world. It was <laughs> I, I, I didn't even read Hellboy comics. Okay. Okay. I think Del Toro really is good at capturing, I'd say, fantasy, and right. Hellboy is so steeped in folk tales and culture of those folk tales that his execution of Hellboy really, really like something about it just hit home for me. You know, right. I grew up like. I grew up reading folk tales and I really, really like those kind of things. And mm. this movie really had that tone. Um, it had, you know, comic book lightheartedness. Yeah. Uh, but it also had, you know, it was it was quite true to the comics. I only read the comics afterwards, but reading the comics afterwards and seeing the movie, you could really tell that attention was paid to this, you know. The pacing seemed fantastic um, for a kid watching that yeah. movie, seeing all the creatures. Mm. It's really quite magical. It's quite a it's, it's a dark magical, you know. It's, right. it's sort of yeah. this, you know. Folk tales are full of the ghoulish and slightly grim, and I think I was drawn to that as a kid. And seeing mm-hmm. those creatures exist in this world, uh, for some context, Hellboy works with the Bureau of Paranormal Activity or something like that. Okay. The PPRD. So basically, he's a ghostbuster. He's a folkbuster. I'm sorry, <laughs> a I folk had to buster. say that. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So, for context, that's why these folk tales are intertwined with the Hellboy world. So mm. you know, you see these characters, and I was so struck by the effects, and it's not all just CG. There's a lot of physical special effects, and yeah, honestly, that is what made me choose where 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 I was gonna go for Polly, and it essentially Ugh. led me to what I do today, which oh, is wow. being unemployed. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not okay, what you are. <laughs> okay, okay. I do freelance motion graphics, but honestly, that movie is what led to what I work as now. Right. So honestly, that's how big an impact, and that's why I gushed so much about it at the start. And I think another testament to Del Toro's ability to capture these, you know, mystical realities is Pan's yeah. Labyrinth as well. Yeah, I hear so much more about Pan's Labyrinth than I do of the Hellboy movies. I I genuinely do recommend. <laughs> giving the Hellboy movies a watch yeah something about them okay yeah well then I guess that's that then hate, hate on us all you want <laughs> this podcast is a one way medium <laughs> use your voice vote no. I mean comment <laughs> <laughs> thanks Makoto for coming on today's show and sharing I guess your un- unpopular opinions my hot takes your hot, hot takes. your hot your heart plates and thank you listeners for tuning in if you guys have any movies or shows that you want me to review or convince a friend to watch you can drop me a tweet or comment on my Instagram and I'll give that a go uh, till next time please do bye bye bye